We've been all waiting for the big day. It's Christmas tomorrow. Um, what comes to mind when you think about it being Christmas tomorrow? What are some words that come to mind? Go ahead, shout them out. What are some words? Food. Gifts, food, family, anything? Joy, yeah, yeah. Presents, presents. Awesome, all the presents, the food, the, you know, the, the tree, lighting the tree. A few of you were kind of spiritual and you said Jesus, that's good. Um, it's about Jesus, um, but it's also about all those other things, right? And we, some of us, if we thought about it a little bit longer, we'd say, well, this is when the star appeared in the sky, this is when the shepherds came, the angel, all of that. And this is what we think of as 21st century American Christians when we think about Christmas, right? It's all of those things together. But what's kind of interesting is if you go back to the beginning, if you go back to when this story began uh, and where it all started, we find a slightly different story. You got to hear a bit of the story of Mary. And we see a first century girl, a young Jewish woman, probably about 14 years old, an ordinary girl, betrothed to be married to Joseph, and she had this astounding experience with an angel appearing to her in her room, and by the end of the thing, she was going to be giving birth to Jesus. And this was not exactly a convenient thing to be happening to her, okay? She's a 14-year-old girl. She's not married yet, and suddenly she finds herself with child. It's a little complicated, even in those days, especially probably in those days. And so she goes away for a bit. She spends some time with her cousin Elizabeth, probably for some privacy, probably also so that she could get some encouragement from Elizabeth. Elizabeth was an older woman, also miraculously with child, at, with John the Baptist, as we know. And so here we have her coming to Elizabeth, and we have a story where she comes to see Elizabeth, and as soon as she walks in the room, Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy. And Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, blessed are you among women. She knows something amazing is happening. And Mary then responds by giving one of perhaps the most beautiful songs in all of Scripture. It's a song, it's a prayer, it's called often Mary's song, it's often called the Magnificat. And I'd like to read it to you today. If you want to follow along, since we don't have the screens, it is in Luke 1, 46 to 55, where you can just listen to it. But this is Mary responding to what has just been happening to her. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is a really significant passage of scripture because what it does for us is it embodies what the Christmas story is really all about. It's the true story of Christmas. If you notice, she didn't mention anything about drinking eggnog or lighting the Christmas tree. She didn't even mention the moment when Jesus would be born that we associate with Christmas, angels coming and shepherd boys playing 
their drum, all of that. No, she went to a different place in the Magnificat. She goes to a completely different place. It's a bigger place. It's a more significant place when she reflected on what the meaning of Christmas was. And so she starts first with her personal reaction, right? She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. She's so just overwhelmed for herself. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. See, she's thanking God that she gets to be part of a a grand story. You don't see her complaining that she's now a 14-year-old girl who's going to have to explain a kind of weird pregnancy. She doesn't complain about that at all. She recognizes that she's part of something much, much bigger than her little life. Much, much, much bigger. She knows that this happening thing happening is wider and longer than anything that, that her little life means. And so I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the wide impact and the long impact of the Christmas story because I think sometimes we get, it gets lost a little bit in the eggnog and in the opening of gifts. I want to first talk about the wide impact because the Christmas story is about every person. It is a very wide, wide story. It includes all people. Mary illuminated that this was so earth-shattering, so world-shaking what was happening. Just this little baby coming. How did she know? What? Because she keeps saying, he has, he has, he has, he has. She's talking about God. This is what God has done. And what does she say? I'll remind you of what she said in that verse. She said, he's been mindful of the humble state of this servant. He was mindful of her, a woman in a very patriarchal society in which she would have mattered very little to the world, but he said, she says, he's been mindful of me. He also has performed mighty deeds and scattered the proud, it says. He has brought down rulers but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel. See all the things that God is doing through bringing this child. This is what he was doing. See, in our culture, we commemorate the event with presents and, and, and trees and all of that, but the Christmas story is much bigger than all of that. He was coming, Jesus was coming to affect the whole world. It's a global event. And not just for the rich ones and the educated ones and the privileged ones. It wasn't just that he was going to be a king. No, did you hear what it said in her song? It said he's coming for the downtrodden, the humble, the hungry, the poor. He brought hope for those who had little hope in this world. He's still bringing hope to those who have little hope in this world. This is what... Jesus came to do. And this is what this great movement, Christianity, is all about. It's what our faith in Jesus produces, what the birth of Jesus is about. We're good at making it about other things, aren't we? But really, wherever there's a true and authentic expression of faith in Jesus, it results in people first receiving salvation, but then helping the poor and lifting up the humble and setting free the oppressed and elevating those who are brought down. This is what Jesus brings. And this has been true throughout history. This has always been the case. Wherever there have been great revivals and authentic experiences of people coming to Jesus and finding Jesus, we see an incredible amount of care for the poor and for caring for those in need. It's so interesting if you go back into church history. I'm a little bit of a church history buff. I love to hear about kind of what happened way back then. And, and the first Christians established hospitals so that everyone could get care. See, it was so that everyone, not just the rich people, but everyone could get care, medical care. They took care of abandoned newborns and brought them into their own house and raised them as their own. People didn't do that in those days. They thought the Christians were pretty weird for doing that. They took them into their homes and cared for them. They established care for widows so they wouldn't be neglected. A woman who lost her husband was bereft. She had nobody to make 
money for her, but they took care of widows. They risked their lives to tend to people that were sickened by the plague. They went into the cities where the plague was instead of escaping like everyone else. And sometimes they also got sick as a result. This is what those early believers did because of the birth of Jesus of what it meant to them. Children and Christians over the centuries have continued to make a difference fighting for prison reform, fighting for the abolition of slavery, for child labor laws, for the civil rights movement in the 60s. Most of these all came out of Christian revivals and a move of the Spirit because God moved in people and said, there, you need to help those who need help, whom you've been given much to much is, requi- much is required of you. I see it even here in Greensboro. I'm always astounded. I'm still a little bit new to this area. And I'm always astounded by the number of nonprofits in this community doing things for people in need, whether it's for homeless or for women or for, um, you know, whatever, people, whatever. There's so many of them and so many, not all, but so many are birthed out of churches and out of people of faith who say, I want to ha- give back. I want to give back. Professor R.R. Palmer was a prominent American historian at Princeton and Yale, and he put it this way, it is impossible to exaggerate the importance of the coming of Christianity. Christians taught that the sight of God, in the sight of God, all souls were equal, that every human life was sacrosanct and inviolate. Christians sought out the diseased, the crippled, the mutilated to give them help. Christians held that God was love, and it took on deep overtones of sacrifice and compassion. So see, this Christmas story is wide. It's to touch all people. It's to care for all people. But there's also a long impact of the, Christian, of the Christmas story. Mary's song shows us how long the ark was of Jesus coming in human history, reaching back to long before he was born. It's interesting to note that Mary's song sounds an awful lot like, seems to be modeled after the prayer of another ancient grateful mother and that is Hannah. If you've read back in the Old Testament, you'll know that Hannah was a Jewish woman back in the early, early days of the nation of Israel. And she had tried and tried to have a child, couldn't have a child, so she went to the temple in Jerusalem. She received prayer, and she was able to give birth to a son. And so when the child was weaned, she brought him back to the temple. She said, I want him to serve in the temple. Guess who he was? He was Samuel. Samuel turned out to be a great prophet in Israel. Uh, just pro- a whole book, books are written uh, from, of his words. And he was also the one who anointed David, David, King David, the King David. He, she, he anointed him. And this is what Hannah said when she offered her son to God. This was her song. There's a song in scripture that she writes. She says this, my heart rejoices in the Lord and the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one like you. There is no rock like our God. These are the words of Hannah. And toward the end of her song, it's a great, wonderful passage. You should look it up in Samuel 2 if you'd like to read the rest of it. But Samuel 2.8, she ends it and she says, He raises, talking about what God does, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor for the foundations of the Lord are the earth of the Lord's, and on Him He set the world. Do you hear echoes of Hannah's song in Mary's song? Lifting up the humble, feeding the poor, Mary would have known her Hebrew scriptures. She was a Jewish girl. And so she would have known that song. She would have known that what was happening to her was much bigger than just her little moment in time, but that it stretched all the way back to the beginning of time and to to these early days of the nation of Israel to the time of David. And she may have also been remembering what, what what the angel said about the baby she would carry. He said this to her, He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. This child born would be of ancient times, from all the way back to all the way forward, forever. Mary knew that the scripture spoke of this Messiah to come, who would be of the throne of David, and who would proclaim good news to the poor, bring freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and would set the oppressed free. Sounds a lot like Mary's song. Mary realized this, that she was part of a long, ancient, God-planned, and all-embracing story. One writer on the Magnificat put it this way, and I loved the way she put it. The overarching sweep of the poem shows a movement of expansion, starting with Mary's individual happiness. Her joy reaches outward to focus on the Almighty and expands to God's people and the continuation of world history. This is not just about some eggnog and some presents. It's not even just about shepherds and angels and a moment in Bethlehem. There's a wider and longer meaning to it all. And so what does that mean for us today? As we're sitting here on a Christmas Eve service, we're getting ready to go home and do all the things. I think we need to let Christmas get bigger for us. Let's get Christmas get just a little bigger to us than just a day of presents and eating. It doesn't have to end after tomorrow. Now, it's much more than the trappings of the presents and the gifts. Don't get me wrong. I love all the trappings, okay? I love decorating my tree. I love getting all the gifts. I love the eggnog. I love all the food. We just were spending all day decorating cookies. I love all that stuff. It's so great. And, you know, I am going to have a big glass of eggnog tonight. I'm just telling you, it's happening at some point tonight. Um, my kids know don't get in the way of me when it's me and my stocking. I mean, I'm going to go to my presents and don't get in my way. I mean, I love all of that. And maybe... Maybe that's a little bit worldly or materialistic. I don't know. It certainly can become that, right? When that's all Christmas is about for us. We can get so caught up in the trappings that that's all it is about. We can celebrate Jesus without a single decoration, without a single present. Tim Keller, a well-known Presbyterian preacher, asked this question. Why do we give gifts to each other at Christmas? kind of weird, right? It's the only holiday that happens. You give gifts to the birthday person, right? So if you're, it's your birthday, we give you gifts, but you don't give us gifts. So why, when it's Jesus' birthday, do we not just give gifts to Jesus? Why are we giving each other gifts? Does that make any sense? I like to think that it's because it's the birth of Jesus is a joy explosion. It's, it's so earth-shattering and world-changing and can be so life-changing for you and for me that we want to just go over the top to celebrate it. It's kind of like if you're an Argentina fan and you're watching the World Cup and they win in a nail-biter overtime penalty kick. Anybody a soccer fan out there? Anybody excited about that? <laughs> I mean... People went bananas over that, right? I mean, just people went crazy. You know in Argentina, they were, they were partying for days. It's like when your team wins the Super Bowl, and they haven't won in, in a decade, and it's like, what? We're partying. So that's what Christmas is to me. I mean, this is a joy explosion. There's no greater news in all the world, people. There's no greater birth in all of creation. There's, it's a reversal of the hopelessness, of the grayness of our world to know that this man was born and it was an end of the waiting for the Messiah, for the salvation that was to come, to, not just to Israel, but to all people, to all people. 
It's an open-eyed, amazed recognition of the presence of God come into our midst. So let your giving of gifts and your lighting of the tree and your drinking of the eggnog and all of that you do, whatever you do, go see the balls at Sunset Hills. That's really fun. I love that. Or if you do nothing at all, let there still be within your heart an explosion of joy that Jesus is born, that Jesus is born, and that he has that effect on the whole world, that he came to have a wide effect to touch each person, and a long effect that it was planned from beginning of time, and to remember that what gives any meaning at all to what we do at Christmas, any meaning or value to the trappings of Christmas, is the deep meaning and the deep love and the deep joy of Jesus coming, the plan of God that we see carried out in the birth of Jesus. Let get Christmas get bigger. Let it last beyond December 25th to what Jesus did for us. Let it be deeper and longer. Let him show you his great love for you that caused him to come in the first place and then let that cause in you and a, a desire to go out and to, to feed the poor and to set free the oppressed, to care for those in need. And I'll end this by saying this is good news for all of us, actually, because if we're honest, we're all in need, aren't we? We're all a little needy tonight. We are the poor and the needy and the oppressed and the humble. Some of us are struggling with our physical needs to just get food on the table, to have a place to live, to care for our families. Some of us are struggling more in our hearts and our emotions and our spiritual life. We are, we are struggling with fear or anxiety or anger. We may feel like we've never achieved anything in life or we're never going to achieve or we wonder what we're even here for. And I want to say to you that the Christmas story is for you. It's for me. Jesus was born into a poor, struggling family too. And he identifies with us and he came to be with you. We call him Emmanuel. You know what that means? It means God with us. He's with you where he is. His simple coming represents a cosmic shift in the world that can be a sea change in your life as you Receive it as you believe it. All we need to do is believe in him, to put our faith and trust in Jesus, to believe that this event was not just a moment in history but was part of a plan of God, to draw you into relationship with himself because he loves you. He loves you. He will lift you up. He will feed your hungry soul. He will set you free from what binds you. He will be your savior, and he will help you to love others with the mercy you've been shown. Hallelujah, hallelujah, and Merry Christmas. Let's take a moment just to reflect on what we've just heard, a moment of quiet. Thank you, God, that there's no one who loves us like you. And we thank you for this amazing event tomorrow. May it not just be an event that we celebrate tomorrow and then go back to life as we knew it before, but that we would continue to live in the Christmas reality of Jesus born for you and for me, for all of us, Lord. Show us how to walk with you, Emmanuel, God with us. We all pray in Jesus' name. Amen.